and this is important, um, that means it's ultimately about how to relate to God on the basis of mercy and grace and not on the basis of works. Welcome to the Ryan Holmes podcast, where our goal is to encourage Christian thinking and Christian living. I want to remind you, as always, would you give us a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening platform you might be using, and that will be a huge help to us so that the podcast can get in front of more people. So if you wouldn't mind doing that now, that would be great. Some of you have already done that, and it's a huge help, and we appreciate it greatly. If you want to watch in video form, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, like the videos, comment, share them. That's another way that you can help the podcast. And also, please, if you have any questions about today's episode or for my guest today, send me an email to ryanholmespodcast at gmail.com, and I will be happy to answer any of your questions or redirect your questions to um, to my guest today. And I'm, I'm thrilled about the subject that we're going to be talking about, and that is gospel-centered ministry. And I'm, I'm, I'm even more thrilled about our guest, and he is a pastor, he is an author, he is the co-host of uh, Leading in the Gospel uh, podcast. And real quick, I've got one of his books right here. This book is called Done What Most Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible. And I will give him a chance to plug uh, some other books that he's written because he's definitely written more books. But this is just one that has been uh, a great help to me. It's a short read and it'll be a great help to you as well. It contrasts basically all of world religions with Christianity. And a lot of people assume that all of all of the world's religions are fundamentally the same and superficially different. But in all reality, Christianity compared to the rest of the world's religions are is superficially the same and fundamentally different. And I think this book um, really shows that and contrasts that in a great way. There's a clear presentation of the gospel, and it really just shows you what Christianity is all about. It's one of those evergreen type books where it doesn't matter uh, where you are in human history. The content still rings true no matter where you're at, and it's a great book. So without further ado, I'm going to bring in our guest today. His name is Carrie Schmidt. Carrie, thank you so much for choosing to join with me today on the podcast. Hey, Ryan, thank you for having me on, and I hope that we will be an encouragement to your listeners or viewers. Thank you so much for giving giving of your time to be on this podcast, and I'm excited uh, about the discussion today. First of all, what I what I always like to do is give my guests an opportunity to share their faith story, their coming to faith story, how they got saved. And so, would you mind just doing that, kind of giving us a brief brief uh, background of you and um, and how you came to faith? Yeah, I uh, was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and as a kid, we moved south to the Atlanta, Georgia area. I was not growing up in a Christian home, but at age eight, uh, my parents began to seek truth and seek the Lord. My dad already knew the Lord, but he was away from God. My mom was not saved. But um, about uh, the winter of, of my eighth year, we happened into a church in, uh, well, happened, it was providential. God, God led our steps to a church just north of Atlanta in Roswell, 
Um, and we were saved at that church, Lebanon Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia area. And we were, we really discipled there. It was a very healthy church, um, got a good understanding of what is the Christian faith and, and what, what is it all about? Uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, I really fell in love with the Lord there in those years, uh, close to 10 years we were there um, and uh, discipled by some great people, Lebanon Baptist Church. And then God took us to California. And um, this was in my high school years. I met my uh, soon, well, eventually to be wife, um, Dana, in high school. And um, we were in the Northern California area just for a few years, went to college got married and then served the Lord for 22 years in Lancaster, California uh, at Lancaster Baptist Church. And now for the last uh, almost going on 11 years, I've been pastoring Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newington, Connecticut. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that uh, with us. And for the listener, um, I I went to the college uh, where uh, Gary had uh was pastoring there as well, or the assistant pastor there. And so I just, I'm really thankful for your investment and your time there. Cause honestly, I would not be where I'm at without Lancaster Baptist church and without West coast Baptist college. So I'm really thankful for my time there. And um, there's no doubt again, that I wouldn't be here without, without my time there and without God leading me there. So, um, so thank you for going to California and, and, and investing there and helping out with that ministry there. The privilege was mine. I was just obeying the Lord, but I'm kind of with you. I, I wouldn't be where I am in life if it weren't for those great years of my life and all that God did. So I'm really thankful. Right. Amen. That's awesome. So our subject matter today, and it's something that you are very passionate about, and that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast. You discuss it on your podcast, and um, and no doubt that's um, uh you're going to talk about it a little bit here in a bit, but uh, that's that's part of your ministry philosophy there at uh, at your church there in Newington, and um, and and the idea is gospel centered ministry. And so what I wanted, what what I want you to do for us is it seems rudimentary, but I mean I'm sure you know this that there's many churches out there that 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 still kind of can't get this right all the time. There's many people that, that, that are at church and still don't understand this, but if you could real quick, give us an understanding of what the gospel is. Uh, okay. So the gospel is most essentially, let's talk about the facts of the gospel. The facts of the gospel are the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what mm -hmm. Paul said, the gospel, which I declared unto you, uh, that Jesus was uh, alive, that he was crucified, that he rose again. Um, the implications of the gospel, the word means good news. So the implications are that I am estranged from God because of his holiness and my sin. I'm alienated from him and I'm actually condemned to judgment eternally and to be separated from him in hell. But the good news is that God made a way. God came into time and space and provided a way of salvation, redemption, restoration, that I can be reconciled with him. Um, that the peace of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace and mercy of God can be mine, that the righteousness of Jesus can be applied to me, even though I don't deserve it, and that I can be brought into moving from condemnation and judgment to love and acceptance, not by my works, but by the work of Jesus, what he has done. Um, so it's not about what I do, it's about what he has done. And this is, ex this is exceptionally good news. So the facts are the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The implications 
are that, that this gift of God has been made available to me and that it really does um, in big picture, it does two things. It saves me and it sanctifies me, or we could say it saves me and it shapes me. Um, so it reclaims me, gives me life in Christ, gives me eternal life, Zoe life, fullness of life. Um, it gives me a relationship with God that can never be lost or severed. And out of that relationship, it then gives me, it plants me in the heart of God, in, in the cultivating work of God by his spirit. So this gospel uh, organically, as I understand it, as I appropriate it, as I live out of it, it reshapes me entirely. And uh, the Bible calls that reshaping, sanctifying, it calls it spiritual growth. It calls it the fruit of the spirit. It calls it um, moving from living in the flesh to living in the spirit or walking in the spirit. It calls it obedience. Um, so the gospel doesn't just rescue me from hell and give me a ticket to heaven. It actually um, is the power that what Paul said in Romans 1, that the gospel is the power of God. Okay, So it is not only the power that saves me, it's the power that reshapes me or that is um, renewing all of the sinful aspects and broken aspects of my life and wounded aspects of my past. It is, the, it is that good news that is operable in my life going forward until I see him. So I like to say it this way, and I wrote about this in a book called Real Christianity. There's really three phases to salvation in, in totality. Um, and I'm not saying that salvation is a work like that you work through, but it is a process. In the moment of belief, you are saved. You are um, you're re, uh, reborn. And then you begin this growing process in the family of God uh, with him as your father and friend, Jesus as your, as your shepherd. And you are not just reborn, you're being renewed or reshaped. And then he will, as Paul said in, in uh, Philippians 1, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you, that's the beginning, that's the rebirth moment, um, begun a good work in you, will perform it. So that's his work in me. So. It's not my work for him that's changing me. It's his work in me. Um, Paul said that he uh, gives us, he, that he gives us the, I'm trying to, this is all extemporaneous, so forgive me for stumbling here for a minute. But oh, no problem at all. It is the power that works in me both to will and to do of his good right. pleasure. So um, it's, it's, it is the saving, the re rebirth, it's the renewing. And then Ephesians 1 says that one day I'll be, uh, there will be the redemption of the purchased possession. That until that happens, I'm sealed by the Spirit of God, and one day I'll be redeemed, and I'll get my new body. So rebirth, renewal, and ultimate redemption. That's kind of the threefold process of salvation. And it's the gospel that's enabling all of that. So um, that is my shortest answer to your question. It's a, <laughs> a great question. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, we could talk just on one episode about that one question, but yeah. um, I appreciate you unpacking that for sure. And I like what you yeah. said about how there's the facts and then there's the implication. Um, because as Christians, you know, this is probably more so for the listener. And I think you would agree with this. This is, this is not just something that's good for us, another religion out there. This is, this is yeah. the story of reality. This is um, rooted in historical fact. 
And, um, and there are like, I love how you said there's certain implications to that. There's something that we have to do with Jesus. And I really love how you, how you explain that for us. And and again, for the listener, this is why we tell people uh, about the gospel is that, that it's, that it, that it's rooted in historical fact. And there are, there are serious implications uh, to that. Um, And so I just, I love how you um, distinguish, distinguish those two things for sure. And thank you for unpacking that. The next thing I'd like you to unpack for us uh, is what is a gospel-centered ministry then? How does that, um, how does that flesh out then into the church setting, the local church setting and into a ministry setting? That's a great question. And the word gospel-centered, depending on what tribe is using it and what group is using it, it can, it can take on a different nuance in different circles. Some people really have no clue what it means. Um, and to some, it just means that they preach the gospel a lot, you know, or right. uh, so anyway, I think there's some skewed uh, and misunderstanding. So let, let me break it down in, in three categories. Gospel centrality has a doctrinal theological aspect to it, and then it has a philosophical aspect to it, and then it has a practical aspect to it. Um, so let's talk about the theolog- theological and doctrinal aspect of what does it mean to to be gospel-centered theologically. Some people would might use the word Christ-centered because they, they would say that all of the Bible is about Jesus. It All the Old Testament points to and promises and ultimately culminates in Jesus. And all the New Testament um, comes out of uh, the life and the work and the resurrection of Jesus and what he's still doing today. So that's a Christocentric theology. Um, it's it's almost exactly the same to say gospel-centric or gospel-centered theology. I think the nuance difference is that we're talking about the narrative as opposed to the person. Mm-hmm. So gospel is good news, um, so it implies a story. And that's really what the Bible is before it is anything else. And it is it is many other things. We know it's the Word of God. We know it's the instructions of the law of God for our lives. We know it is filled with uh, admonition and wisdom and all the things we need that pertain to life and godliness um, and understanding. We understand all that. But if you peel back the layers of the onion and ask yourself, what is the Bible most essentially? It is a, a redemptive historical narrative. What does that mean? Well, It means that the message from Genesis to Revelation is, first of all, redemptive. What is that? That word means it it, it implies uh, something was ideal, and it was lost, and it's being redeemed, okay? Hmm. Jesus said it. He said, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, So the, the nature of the narrative is a redemptive narrative. And by the way, it's interesting to me that the stories we love the most in life are, are always redemptive. There's always an ideal that's somehow tarnished or lost or broken. There's this tension of how's it going to be redeemed or restored. And then the happy ending that we always celebrate is there's a hero that comes in and fixes everything somehow. And you just, you know, I don't like entertainment that ends on a sad note. You know, it's like if the dog's going to die, I don't want to watch the movie. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if the hero's going to die, I don't want to watch the movie unless he's coming back to life. Um, right. So, you know, we want those happy endings and that's how really those are all arrows to the fact that god has etched the 
the gospel, he's etched it into our very hearts, our psyches, our, our consciences. But anyway, if you look at the Bible, you start with a perfect creation and you end with a perfect new creation. And everything in between is about the fall, the redemption, and the restoration. Um, so that is a narrative. And I understand there's different genres of, of uh, literature in the Bible. There's wisdom literature. There's apocalyptic literature. There's songs and, and different genres. But still, in its essence, the Bible tells a story. It is a redemptive story. So redemptive historical, it is a historical. It's God's story of time and space. Um, so therefore, it's, it's the authoritative account of, of who are we, where we come from, where are we going, what's really happening here, um, and who put us here. It is the authoritative account of God for what is time and what is human history and what is God doing. Um, and then the word narrative means it's, it's a, a storyline. So the Bible's a redemptive historical narrative. Secondly, the Bible is most essentially, that's, an, that's a really important statement, most essentially um, good news, not good advice. Now, there's lots of good advice in the Bible. But if the Bible were most essentially good advice, good advice is save yourself. Like, like here's how to fix yourself. Good advice is here's a good exercise program. Here's a good diet program. Here's a good college. Here's a good whatever. It's all about you working hard um, and, and following the advice you've been given. That's not the same as a gospel. The gospel is a herald coming into town saying the battle's won. You've been saved. The work is done. Victory is won. You're free. Um, it's a declaration of good news. So start to finish Bible is most essentially good news. Now, I can even think of a hearer that right now is going, well, what about wrath? What about judgment? What about condemnation? What about conviction? What about God's anger? Absolutely, it's all there. Um, and it's all real. But um, all of that is there to diagnose the need for the good news. It's like, it's like the diagnosis is you're condemned in God's righteous, just anger. It's going to come after you unless you understand his good news. And his good news is save, salvation, mercy, uh, grace, righteousness. So all, even the bad news is there to point to the greater good news. I like to use this illustration in uh, 2010, I went to the doctor and the doctor told me I had cancer. Um, that's bad news. But then he said, it's a good thing we can diagnose this because once we diagnose it, which they did, Turns out it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was treatable and curable. So he came back around and said, I've got bad news. You have cancer, but I have good news. We can cure it. And that really essentially is the message of the Bible. The bad news is we have violated God's holy righteousness. And we have been uh, declared dead to him. And all of creation has fallen. That's the bad news. We're the objects of God's wrath. But the good news is God has a plan of rescue. Um, and all through the Old Testament, he's promising it, he's pointing to it, he's talking about it, mercy, righteousness, grace, long-suffering. He's warning us about his wrath, he's demonstrating his wrath, but he's also promising a Savior. And then New Testament, Jesus shows up on the scene, and the surprise of the narrative is it's God, that God is the one who's coming. God is the Savior. That's the, that's the breathtaking moment. There's still this question of how's he going to save us? 
How's he going to mitigate God's wrath so he can give us God's love? It's kind of the question like the doctor, how, did, how does the doctor kill cancer without killing me? The question of the Old Testament is, how does God kill sin without killing me? Um, and the answer is Jesus on the cross. Jesus absorbs the wrath so that he can give out his love. And it's a beautiful resolution to the story uh, and to the tension of wrath and love, holiness and love. And um, so I, I'm sorry for taking so long, but theologically, no, that's okay. gospel, gospel centrality is the entire narrative of the Bible points to God's good news. In some way or another, it's like links in a chain. And I'm not talking about hidden meaning or mystical meaning. I'm talking about every story in in the links in the chain has something to do with pointing out or promising or getting to the arrival of a savior um, and the work of God in all of that. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, everything after that flows out of what Jesus did. This is what Jesus when Jesus was resurrected in Luke 24, twice, Luke says, he opened the Old Testament scriptures and he told his disciples they were all about him. Like, it's all pointing to me. And he opened their eyes. So gospel centrality, theologically, simply means I go at the Bible understanding it's all about the gospel. It's ultimately all about Jesus. And this is important. Um that means it's ultimately about how to relate to God on the basis of mercy and grace and not on the basis of works. Hmm. Now, that's true before my salvation. In other words, I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by grace and mercy. But after salvation, we default back to works, and we really think we relate to God now on the basis of our performance. The gospel says, no, you never relate to God on the basis of your performance. Your performance is his work through you. So you always are the object of his mercy. You're always the object of the gospel that redeemed you. So that's, that's the theology. Well, that breaks out into philosophy and practice. And so a gospel-centered ministry is going to teach the Bible from that viewpoint. It's always going to tie every part of Scripture into the 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 big narrative and to the heart of God in the gospel and everywhere in scripture, it's kind of like, here's what God expects. Here's who God is. Here's what God expects. Here's how you fail that. Here's how Jesus succeeds it. And here's how Jesus can bring it to reality in your life. So it's, it's all about that formula. God's standard. I failed. Jesus succeeded. Jesus will grow it in me. Um, And that answers questions about philosophy of ministry. How do I base my ministry on that message and on living out of that message and growing that in that message and helping others to experience it? And then I think practice then uh, it it flows into my relationships. It flows into my church culture. It flows into how I lead. In other words, I'm not relating to other. if, If I don't relate to God on the basis of my works, and you don't either, then we shouldn't relate to each other on the basis of our works. We shouldn't be comparative mm-hmm. or competitive uh, or evaluating right. each other. And so this, this has ripple effect all through um, our ministries, our families, our marriages, our friendships. Just everything in life changes when I appropriate the gospel to my lifestyle. 
to my leadership style. So that's in a nutshell what I'm, when I use the word gospel centered, it's about theology. It's about philosophy of ministry. And it's about how I practice my Christian life as well. Awesome. Great. That's, I appreciate you taking the time to, to unpack that. Um, in, Let uh, me say it a really simple way. Um, yeah. It means that we learn, and this we have to come back to over and over again. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We learn mm-hmm. to relate to God on the basis of his love for us. And the bigger his love grows in our minds and hearts, the more we want to love him back. Mm-hmm. And so our service doesn't become, it's not us trying to leverage him or us trying to get, get him to be good to us. He already has been good to us. Mm-hmm. Our service becomes motivated by the desire to say, I love you too. Um, mm-hmm. So all the Bible is, is God saying, I love you. 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 Um, but learning to then live out of, I love you too. I love you too. I love you too. And that's a mm-hmm. lifetime journey. Right. And I think what, what you just kind of unpack, like I mentioned there actually kind of ties in nice to, to, to my next question. When we're thinking about a gospel centered ministry, and I think this is going to fall more under the practice. Um, obviously that assumes when we're talking about a gospel centered ministry, that assumes that there's an opposite to that. Um, mm-hmm. And things that as we're pursuing gospel centered ministry, there's things that we would want to avoid. Um, so what are the, what are the things that we should be trying to avoid when in the pursuit of gospel centered ministry? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think the opposite of gospel centered ministry is like a works driven uh, ministry. Okay. So, and that plays out in a lot of ways, but um, let me think about how I want to answer this. The, uh, the, the counter, the alternative to a gospel centered ministry is, a ministry that's more about self-improvement, um, hard, hard work. And I'm not implying that there's not effort involved in the Christian life, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a dependent effort. It's almost a passive effort. It's a, it's a kind of effort that's more about cultivation than production. Okay, so mm-hmm. I can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. So no matter how hard I work, at it. Like if I try to work at loving God more, I'm not, I'm just going to never love him enough. Hmm. But if I cultivate my life, if I plant, if I'm rooted and grounded in Christ and I plant myself in the greenhouse of God's garden, you know, this is why God uses organic metaphors in scripture instead of mechanical metaphors in scripture. Hmm. I, I, you know, my Christian life's not a machine shop. It's a greenhouse. My church is not a machine shop. It's a greenhouse. In a machine shop, you just take raw materials, you force it into molds that produce multiple copies of the same thing. Um, and a lot of churches and, and believers, that's what they, they kind of think, okay, now I'm saved, and now i gotta, I got to mold myself. Like, I've got to do the work to myself. Or hmm. it's like the pastor feels like he's got to reshape everybody personally. The pastor just tends the greenhouse. Um, the processes of reshaping, like think about a plant growing, it, it, right water, right nutrients in the soil, the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of protection from pestilence, 
and that tree is going to grow, that plant's going to grow, and it will bear fruit if it's healthy. So the focus of my work in the Christian life is not performing for God or behaviorism or behavior modification. No, it's really cultivation. It's it's walking with Jesus and consuming his word and and getting myself into the presence of God's people and the worship of God and the truth of God being taught and preached. Like Asaph said in Psalm uh, 73, he said, uh, he, he was really losing faith until he went into the house of God, the sanctuary, and then he understood. I mean, getting around the truth changed his heart and reshaped his life. So I think there are really two kinds of models of, of the Christian journey and of ministry itself. And really that leads to two styles of pastoring. In one style, it's more like the machine shop. I'm trying to make everybody look the part fit them into a box and everybody is quickly conforming. You know, they're looking the part and uh, adapting behaviors that make them feel good about themselves. Uh, Mm -hmm. But maybe their heart isn't really being transformed. Um, The other kind of journey is really teaching the word, teaching the word, watering the the seed, watering the soil, uh, protecting from pestilence, creating an environment of health, where the spirit of God can grow his people at his pace. Uh, it's much more organic. Lots of people are growing and they're all at different places and different points in their journey. They're not comparing themselves among themselves. They're not competing with each other to see who the best Christian is. Um, they're not measuring each other by their, by their performance or by their standards or by their appearance. Measuring others or comparing yourself by visible metrics uh, by appearances is always an indicator that you're not in a gospel-centered environment. Um, And then the fear. So here's the fear people have of that is that, well, if I, if I just preach that that grace and mercy and the gospel will reshape me, then people are going to be, well, let me say it this way. Um, Most, most, most that are not gospel-centered environments, they're fear-driven environments. I better toe the line or God is going to whack me hmm. or he's not going to bless me. or he's. And it turns God into a taskmaster that's something along the lines of a headmaster of an orphanage, hmm. not a loving father. Um, and I, it's, it's kind of like I got to wake up and do my chores or God's going to whack me. Hmm. Um and, and that makes good preaching, but it's not Bible. And it really is not a sustainable Christian life because eventually you want to run from the headmaster of the orphanage uh, mm-hmm. you just, for survival. But he's a right. loving father who nurtures and loves and cultivates. And, and uh, I'm unconditionally accepted. And when I begin to relate to him on those, in those realities, then my my motive to serve him and honor him is much different and it's sustainable and renewable. So I, I think on the surface, these ministries might not look very different. I, maybe the pulpit ministry in one is more fear-based and performance-based. The other is, is more endearing to the heart of God and draws God's sheep to him instead of driving them. Um, and the other one trusts the works of men to produce transformation. The other trusts the deep work of the spirit of God 
to bring transformation. But visibly, they, in terms of metrics, they may look the same for a while, but um, deeply and motivationally, they're very, very different. Right. Yeah, that's that's really good. It's almost as if, um, at least in my experience, in certain contexts, what I've seen is it's like you preach the gospel to the moment of salvation, and then the gospel is left at the moment of salvation, mm-hmm. and then it's then it then it becomes performative, um, yeah. almost almost as if we don't trust the Holy Spirit to do the work in that person's life, so we take it on right. ourselves instead of putting it in the hands of God. Um, and I just I love how you put that because yeah, there's people that are at different stages of their spiritual journey, um, mm-hmm. and I love I love how you kind of even talked about the 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 illustrations in scripture as being something that is organic not mechanical um and um yeah that's that that's awesome how how do you um let's say your your church context is um and and let me know if you don't feel comfortable sharing this or not but uh when you when you got there is um first of all was this kind of something that was had been brewing in your heart before you got there or um is this yeah, I guess that maybe I should start with, is this kind of a, like a philosophy shift that you had, or is this something that you've, you've always desired for your ministry or, um, how did that look for you? Um, when you were coming to, to, to Newington? I would say this has taken every bit of a 40, uh, 45 year journey that I've had with the Lord, 46 year journey. So, um, Early on, I was taught a grace-based Christianity. Then for many years, I was exposed in college and elsewhere to a, more of a performance-based, production-based Christianity. There, I would say for many years, there was, a, there was this tension existing within me um, that I really had a hard time reconciling or explaining. I knew, I knew intellectually um, that... I was to relate to God on the basis of grace. Um, but expressing that was difficult. And, and yet, so I've asked other people, like kids that grew up in my youth group, I've asked them the same question you're asking me about myself. I'm like, hey, when you were listening to me when you were in 10th grade in 2005 um, or whatever, what, what did you hear? And their answer is, well, I heard you talk most about having a relationship with Jesus that led to my service for him, not the other way around. And so, and that's, I'm, I'm always glad to hear that. What I would say is going through cancer and then relocating to Connecticut and experiencing um, really a dying ministry and watching the power of the gospel revive that in my weakness um, and then the theological study I've done the last decade. So basically, when I came to Connecticut, I went back to school. Um, mm. I had not up to that point done just I just had a four year degree. And so the last 10 years, I've been working through master's and doctorate. And um, I would say what God's done, especially the first five years I was a pastor, was he really expanded my understanding of what I talked about a little while ago, the narrative, the redemptive narrative. If you had said to me 11 or 12 years ago, the Bible is most essentially a redemptive historical narrative, I would not have even known what you meant. 
Um, it, to me, it was, yeah, the gospel was how you got saved. And then you get to work, you know, you serve Jesus with your life. And frankly, I was okay with that because I knew I, I wasn't working to be saved or even to stay saved. I, I was working because I love God. But how the theology, explain, how, how the gospel motivates me, um, I could, I'd hear somebody say that, or the grace of God motivates us, and I wasn't quite sure how to explain that. Um, mm-hmm. but, but moving it from head to heart and experiencing it, first the experience was like getting saved all over again, um, but then it gave me an ex- a well pool of experience personally to be able to speak out of. The best illustration I can give you is um, if I have to take my wife on dates, uh, I don't love her. Um, but if I love her, I'm going to want to take her on dates. Um, right. So I say a lot, the Christian life for many is a have to, ought to. It's a debt driven life. Like you have to do this. You better do this or else. God's going to get you. Um, that's a sad view of God. And it's a sad motivational tactic. I've heard mm-hmm. pastors say, you better tithe, or if you don't tithe, God will get it one way or another. That, yep. is, that is so bad. That is mm-hmm. so anti-scriptural. I mean, like, it's, it makes God vindictive and petty and cheap. It makes his love cheap. It mm-hmm. makes it like if I don't tithe, God's sitting up in heaven going, okay, what do we want to do to get him? Do we want to break down his car? Do we want to you know, send him a tax bill? How do we want to whack Carrie? It's just such yeah. a petty God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it caused you to live in fear. So if I love my wife, I'm going to want to serve her out of purity. Mm-hmm. If I don't love her, I have a deeper issue. I need to I need to discover who she really is because she is very lovable. So the more I understand the love of God, the more I naturally am going to want to love him. And the more that motivates nat- organically, naturally, like I don't have to work at it. It just happens. Generosity, service, um, giving myself away, loving others. It just happens. And that's the life that I really want to live. I'm not, saying I hit it all the time. That's my target. <laughs> I want to live it. Right. And you're not saying that, um, I don't think you are, but just for, for, for purposes of clarification. Um, so anybody can accuse you of saying something that you're, that you're not, um, you're not saying that there's not things that we are compelled to do. So from a pulpit, you're, there's not like, it's not just vague, like, Oh, God loves you. And that's no, going to some, no. somehow generate something in, in a believer. There's still, um, there's still a communication of, of, yeah, it, God expects things of us. God asks things of us. Um, yeah. So it, it doesn't, yeah, not, grace-based sorry. gospel centrality doesn't ignore any of that. Right. Uh, it just properly orders it as a result of the gospel and, and, and flowing out of the love and the heart of God for me. Mm-hmm. So the gospel saves me and then the gospel redirects my life and it gives me the will so it gives me the, the will and the ability um, to obey God. It mm-hmm. makes me want to obey him, and it gives me the power to obey him. So if, if I just open the Bible and tell people what to do, I'm only giving them half the message. 
I'm not telling them what um, what wellspring is there that makes the do, makes the doing desirable and makes them capable of doing that you know what moves them and enables them to do what God says. So the full message is so liberating and so empowering because it says, this is what Jesus has done for you. And because of that, this is what he calls you and compels you to do in love and empowers you to do. And by the way, it's going to produce joy and fruit, fullness as you obey him. So I don't pull back on any of the compulsions of scripture or any of the obedience or the commands I just simply say, number one, because of the gospel, when you fail, God does not condemn you. You don't, you don't fall under his judgment. He may chasten you because he loves you, but he doesn't reject you. You don't lose your salvation. He doesn't cast you away. He never gives up on you. So you are failing in an ecosystem in which victory is already guaranteed. So in a sense, failure is never final. And it's already paid for on the cross. Now, that should that never, grace and love of God, mercy of God, never motivates us to sin. Hmm. So anybody that says, oh, well, because you know, I'm under grace, I can do this. That is not grace talking. That's carnality talking. That's flesh talking. Right. Um, but grace does say, when you fail, um, I'll pick you up. Hmm. So the gospel says... You're loved when you fail. On your worst day, get back up. You're still loved. And on your best day, don't get proud because that's not you anyway. It's Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. So it just neutralizes the legalistic sense that I am relating to God based on how I'm doing for him, mm -hmm. my performance. And instead, I'm relating to God as the object of his mercy always. When I fail, that means I fall in, onto his mercy and I ask him to renew me and restore me. And I repent, essentially. And when I succeed on my best days, I never puff up in pride and go, hey, look how good I am compared to that guy. He's really bad and I'm really good. No, I'm just struggling, too. And if I had a good day or if I'm a success in any sense, that's God. That's Jesus. That's the spirit of God working in me. And that's grace because it certainly doesn't come from me. So. Yeah, it just, it, it just, the message of grace and gospel puts work, service, obedience into the right flow, motivationally and um, uh, volitionally. It, it tells you your will to do and your ability to do for the Lord is really from him. It's really his work in you. That's awesome. That's great. And um well, I mean, I would, I would really love to to just keep talking about this subject because it really is something that uh, you know I've gleaned a lot from you and listening to your podcast, and um, and there's been times where Sarah and I have been, my wife and I have been sick at home, and we've just we've honestly flicked on your your church services, and oh, uh, we've we we've loved we've loved them, and we've really enjoyed them, and um, and I just want to thank you for your time. Uh, and I, I just don't want to take too much more of your time because you've been gracious with, with the time that you've given me. And, um, 
this really has been a great, great conversation. And again, I'd love to just continue on, but, um, uh, you know, I, I, what I'd like to do is, um, kind of as we close, I think we left it at a good point. And, um, what I'd like to do is allow you to kind of, kind of plug, uh, where people can find your work. I know you've written many, many books and whatnot. Obviously you're, you're pastoring at, uh, um, Emmanuel Baptist church, correct? That's the name of it. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to give people, give you an opportunity to kind of share, um, yeah, share maybe your church and kind of where people can find, find the things sure. that you have going on. Yeah. So we have, um, a, a wonderful media team at our church and there's really three streams of podcasts, uh, some audio or video. Um, the first is our weekly services. Right now we're going through the gospel of John verse by verse, and that's just been a wonderful study. Um, and that's the EBC Emmanuel Baptist church of Newington, Connecticut, uh, EBC Newington.com or on iTunes. The second podcast I do is called leading in the gospel. And basically we, I either have conversations or interviews with other leaders every now and then I'll do one on my own, but we're going at, we're trying to encourage pastors and spiritual leaders to lead in ways. Um, we're kind of breaking down how does the gospel impact different scenarios and different situations in leadership. And so that's a fun podcast. I've, I've been a little bit derelict in it the last few months because I've just been working on a degree and a book and some other things. But I'm going to get yeah. back in the saddle. The third podcast I do started during COVID. It's daily. It's, it's on average about 10 minutes sometimes seven or eight, sometimes 12, but we're slow walking through the Psalms verse by mm -hmm. verse. And just like a daily meditation, it's just a devotional thought for my church family. Uh, that's video and audio. It's called enough for today. Um, and so the best way people can just track along with anything that I'm doing is carryschmidt.com. That's my blog. And then as far as books, um, if you just go to Amazon and search my name, you'll see them all. Uh, the most recent one is a book from Moody Publications called Stop Trying. It's all about uh, growing in what I call in the book a gospel identity. How does the gospel reshape my sense of self, my, my identity? And we live in a world where that's like mainstream right now, self-identifying. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a dead-end road. It's a despairing road apart from Christ. So that book is a couple years old. I just finished a book that will be available in November. Um, okay. It is also from Moody Publishers. It's called Steady Strength. The subtitle is Reversing Ministries Dangerous Drift to Depletion. Um, it's to spiritual leaders, pastors, and people in ministry. And it just is about personal wellness and, and spiritual, emotional, psychological physiological strength, just operating and, and living and leading out of health. Um, and like I said, that'll be available in uh, November. So um, really excited about the opportunity to work on it. Um, the publisher was real happy with, with what they read in the manuscript. So we'll see. I'm praying that God will use it to encourage leaders. That's awesome. Great. And we'll, uh, we'll link to everything in the show notes below so people can easily find, uh, find those things there. So I, before we, uh, sign off here, can you, uh, would you leave us with a last kind of word of encouragement, um, as we, as we go today? Oh, goodness. Um, put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, 
uh, we're talking about gospel centrality. So I'll, I'll say it this way. The gospel means that God's good news always trumps any possible bad news. So no matter, I'm, I'm not down, I'm not trivializing the sense or the sorrow or the grief of tragic bad news that we can receive in this life. I have a dear friend that passed away recently, young, uh, young family, young marriage, tragic, 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 unspeakable sorrow, unspeakable grief. But the gospel means that that family will be reunited with their loved one. Um, and so the worst news I could receive in this life is overcome by the good news of the gospel every single time. So for me, um, I just come back over and over to God's good news. I want that to define me. I want it to define my life, my message. I want it to be my source of joy um, and strength and renewed every day but whatever bad news comes the gospel is always better news awesome thanks for that and um to the listener thanks for tuning in today uh to this week's episode of the ryan holmes podcast i've loved this conversation and i know you guys are going to enjoy it as well or you have enjoyed it already and um if you have any questions for me or for carrie that i can relate to him uh please send me an email, email to ryan holmes podcast at gmail Dot com And uh, again, as always, I just want to encourage you to continue to think about your faith and live it out. Kerry, thank you so much for joining with us this week. Thank you, Ryan. It's been great.